Shut up and sit down. When the Wind Blows, a disruption of the educational status quo, hosted by Aaron Barnes. And now, Aaron Barnes. Welcome back to When the Wind Blows, a podcast for parents, teachers, leaders, anyone vested in the world of education. I am Aaron Barnes. Thank you, Sean, uh, the host of the show. And today we have Dr. Patricia Cook on the show, and I am so excited. Uh, we don't get to hang out very often, but when we do, like I feel like I'm always having to write things down and research them because I'm ready to innovate and go further and be a part of anything that's going on in your world. Uh, Dr. Patricia Cook, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me, Erin. And honestly, I've got to admit, I've kind of got a fangirl experience going on because, <laughs> you know, my work at Epic really was not the beginning of my work with technology, um, but it was a moment that the world was changing. And so uh, podcasts, uh, things like the Okla Ed chat, um, all of those things were really kind of happening as my my transition to online learning at the same time. And so I have been a follower for a really long time. And so I'm always glad to get to sit and chew the fat with you and kind of just talk about all the cool things that we're both getting to work on. Girl, and there have been times, um, you know, I've called you for like a, a 40 second or one minute answer. And you've talked to me the entire hour and a half from OKC to Tulsa or Tulsa to OKC because we can just get going. And so I will honor your time, but if this keeps going and we're starting 30 minutes early now, so we've got, we've baked in 30 more minutes. Uh, If this keeps going, I'll make a part two. Uh, So we'll just see what happens. I'm not guaranteeing anything out there, but uh, I really wanted to talk to you, um, you know, we have our own team meetings uh, regularly where we're like, what should we highlight? Who's going, what's going on? What events are out there in the world? And I heard a statistic the other day. Um, well, let me, let me back up. Let's start with who are, I'm like ready to dive in. Look at me. I know, I'm so right, sorry. right? We're like all these things <laughs> that we could be talking about. Um, yes, absolutely. Who so. are you? Um, what brought you to Epic Charter School uh, to be kind of the place you landed? And um, what is it that you do here? Absolutely. So my name is Patricia Cook, and I am currently the Director of Certification for Epic. And so everything that has to do with a formal certificate in relation to education at the State Department is handled by our team. Now, that looks like a lot of different stuff. Um, And so we'll have to kind of go down each pathway and and talk about those because each one has their nuances. But I will say that my background is in special education. And that is when I became an alternatively certified teacher. Um, And that process would have been early 99, 2000s, ish, something like that. You know, I kind of went back and forth between broadcasting and teaching for a little bit. um, And then finally just said, you know, I am not going to be in a world where we report on things afterwards. I'm going to go make a difference right in front of me every single day. Wow. I love it. 
Yeah, the first year that I went and interviewed for a, a teaching position at a school district, I actually interviewed for an English position and for a special education position. And so I um, got hired for both and they asked me which one I wanted and, and I chose special education. So everything that I have done at Epic has always centered around working with people that are different, working with people that are unique, working with people that have circumstances or situations or have had a life, you know, that's occurred and something is a barrier to education. And so we work to remove those barriers. And so, um, you know, now I'm, I'm working with our you teach team. Uh, we're kind of doing the same thing for adults who want to come into education. Uh, but really, if, if you ask me like the lady in the gym today, uh, that I ran into and, and gave my business card and told her to apply. Um, if you ask me what my background is, my my knee jerk reaction is I'm going to say special education. So okay. um, I'll put that hat on. So what landed you at Epic Charter School? Well, it's kind of a funny story. Uh, my mother actually got a job here first. Um, I'm, she is a, a special education teacher. And when she began telling me about the potential I was like, this is the moment, you know, things are changing in this world. I want to go where people are doing the things that I'm learning about in my classes in graduate school. And so um, I came to Epic. It would have been August of 2015. Okay. And it truly was the draw of school can be different. It's, uh, you know, it's crazy. And I'm, already going off on side trails, so I apologize. But, you know, we were sitting in the board meeting last night and, um, you know, we've we've partnered with this guy, Bob Summers, super smart guy. Um, and he, he's asking the board, you know, what kind of things do you want to be in control of? What do you not want to be in control of? And they were like, we want to be the school that innovates. I mean, we're a, a virtual school. We should be on that, you know, edge of seat uh, learning experience. and. And we want to be trending in all of these top technology areas. And so immediately I go to my computer and I'm like, what are the top trends in education right now? Girl, it listed 10. I think we are in nine of those areas right now. And so it is, um, it's a beautiful place to work, not just because we lead in technology, but because school can be different for all those kids that you, I mean, and, and circumstances as you've already said, uh, special education, a little bit different, uh, weird circumstances growing up. Like we are here to catch um, kind of, you know, the, the, the kiddos that fall through the cracks. Um, and so, uh, I mean, we could go in 500 different directions with that, but. Well, and I'll also remind you, special education also, has a, an influence in that umbrella of gifted and talented. Yes. And I tell people all the time when, you know, they're asking me, well, should I pursue special ed certification or should I just look at a content area or a specific grade level? And I'm like, dude, special education is good teaching. It's And it works amazing. for everyone. Yeah. It's about finding what works for that particular student, you know, unlocking that puzzle. Uh, my kiddo is a twice exceptional. So, I mean, she's in that gifted and talented world, but on paper, it doesn't look like it because she's dyslexic and is always, uh, you know, second guessing things to her. The way she thinks is just different. And so 
it's it's a I love the world of special education. Um, anyway, well, I, and it's helped us so much. That, that, you know, I am very blessed that I've had experience in, in many brick and mortar schools. We've moved around a lot over the course of my career. I've also had experience working in higher ed and, and you know, had some of that uh, media experience. Um, but one of the problems that I found within the institution of education you know, and our traditional model is when you are a voice that sees a problem and wants to offer, you know, some type of solution or brainstorm or ask those questions, a lot of times as a teacher, you're told like, hey, go back to your classroom, right. close the door, you know, you're causing problems, get in line, you know, and, and that for me was very frustrating mm. because I pursued the first master's in special education, the second master's was in principal leadership, and then I got my doctorate in superintendent leadership. And in every one of those classes, I was looking for this magic solution of how can we make things better for kids? How can we make things better for teachers? What can we do so that people like me that came out of, you know, going to college for something else could join the profession and, and still feel like they were able to continue moving and growing and, and, and making a difference. And so, you know, not having that voice um, and, and that audience maybe, that seat at the table was tempting to me when I was interviewed with Epic. Yes. And then even as a first year teacher, I remember feeling heard. And, and that is such a big part of learning the art and science of teaching is feeling like number one, you can ask the questions without people judging you. And number two, when you have good ideas or you have problems, you can celebrate or you can kind of commiserate on either one of those. Yeah. So um, that, that truly, when I tell people, you know, what does that mean? School can be different. I think number one, everyone has a voice. I love it. And we work hard for that at Epic. So, Okay, I'm, I'm going to get to the meat of why I've asked you here today. Um, I heard a statistic last week, uh, and, and you do have the UTeach program. You are taking people who may have a bachelor's degree in uh, applied sciences. Maybe they've got a marketing degree. Maybe they've got, you know, an anthropology degree. You know, a vast world. Anybody with a degree, and you are teaching them to be teachers. Um, you, you take them through the process and, and then you get them certified. Uh, is it American board certification? So it was in the first year, okay. but now we are doing multiple pathways to certification. Okay. Um, yeah, and, and you know, part of the reason the UTeach program works at Epic is we do have that supportive surround for all teachers. You know, not just new teachers, they have a teacher development specialist, they have a, an instructional leader in their principal, they have, you know, um, instructional coaches and, and folks that really know how to, to specialize and help them with their specific issues. Um, but right now, we are using the same programs as every other school district in the state of Oklahoma. Right. So a couple of years ago, I sat on something called the teacher shortage task force. Like we saw there was a problem going on in Oklahoma and it's really a nationwide problem at this point. But I mean, five years ago we were like, Ooh, Oklahoma, we've got a teacher shortage. And I remember superintendent Hoffmeister 
like saying, let's explore everything. Like maybe we can help people become teachers. You know, they take maybe an internship and then we get them all certified. And, and I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, I was already having students based on the way I was teaching and I, I'm patting myself on the back, but I, you know, and I apologize about that, but they were already like, we want to go into education. Like you have kind of this different way of doing it than we've ever seen before. We want to do that. We want to embrace that. And I thought, oh my gosh, like what a, a flattering thing. Right. And then I move into admin and we're like, how do we still do this? How do we create more teachers? And you, <laughs> You were like, uh, let me take the ball and run with it. Uh, and, and you set up this program, this, this boot camp that gets people certified. And I heard that your pass rate with these peop these teachers, these, these newly uh, into the world of education teachers is 30% higher than the pathway that the State Department of Oklahoma is, is getting people on, they're looking at your program, Dr. Cook, and saying, how can we adapt what she's doing to make our program, you're going for Epic Charter Schools, you've got this you teach program, you're bringing people into the world of teaching, whether they stay here or go into other work, you know, other schools, whatever, we're creating teachers, this, this pipeline for teachers. But then now the State Department's like, hey, what's going on over there? Why are your pass rates so much better? Talk to me about, well, talk to me about, when it dawned on you that your pass rate was 30% higher than any other person around? Well, it's definitely been a process. And, and as you said, we, we did begin uh, with the American Board Program uh, for regular education certification. And we had another group that I worked with that began with um, special education. And we're using a boot camp that is provided by the State Department of Education. Any school district can, can uh, support their teachers in the boot camp. And we actually participate in some statewide meetings with that department so that other school districts can kind of, um, you know, exchange experiences or, or talk about problems so that you know our goal is to get more special education teachers in the classrooms across the state of Oklahoma in every school not just at Epic Hallelujah. and so you know having that perspective number one um, kind of opens up some conversations um, and we do work very closely with the State Department of Education. We have some wonderful specialists there that um, answer my phone calls every day and, and our teachers emails and really try to help translate that process. Um, but it really is a difficult process. And part of that is the state certification exam requirements. Okay, just this past July, they have removed one of those exams, yes. the OGET, O-G-E-T. And that was a, more of a general education exam to prove that a teacher who was coming new to the profession could do enough math and, and know enough about English that they could work with students. Well, the state board and, and some of those folks have, have looked at it and said, hey, these folks have college degrees. Yes. We're going to assume they can read and write yes. if they have a college degree, right? Well, the second area is the subject area exam, okay? And in our special education boot camp, those folks are working towards that uh, mild to moderate pre-K through 12 certificate that allows them to work with diverse learners. 
Okay, and that is going to be lots of different levels of kids, different levels of math and reading and um, knowing, you know, how to work with social emotional issues. And so we actually spend time with them, training them on what is it like to be a special ed teacher. And then when you have that experience while you're studying for an exam, you are able to kind of picture the exam question in a way that is more real and relevant. And then that helps you kind of tackle because a lot of these certification exams, they're not, you know, here's a vocabulary word, give us the definition. They're gonna say, you're the teacher, you're in this situation, here's what's going on with the lesson, here's what's going on with the kid. What is your first action? And that can be really confusing for folks yeah. if they miss one of those words. Well, because it's kind of a subjective question, like, uh, you know, how detailed do I get? You know, uh, there's a fight that erupts in the classroom. You know, do I shut the door first? Do I, you know, get in between? Do I, you know, what is that first? There's, there's, I was told whenever I was going through this, there are like 12 different ways you could go about answering it, but there are ways that are more right than others. And I'm like, oh Absolutely. my gosh, how do you, yeah. and, and, how do you and read that's that? So, in addition to the special education, um, if our teachers uh, want to be certified in a core content area, elementary, math, you know, high school, social studies, whatever that is, it's going to be the same thing on those exams. So even someone who got a degree in history and then maybe he's been working in another area over the last few years or something and came to teaching, they have to be able to say, I'm the social studies teacher. I'm teaching this specific lesson. What's the most important thing I need to highlight during step two of my lesson plan? Yeah. And, and those are really tricky questions because there are lots and lots of professionals who absolutely could stand in a room and monitor children. In, in Florida, they've passed a, a, a program where if you have military experience, you can be a teacher. You don't even have to have a college degree. And, and I'm sure those gentlemen or, or ladies that have served our country so graciously are more than happy to serve in our classrooms and, and be that person. But that art and science of teaching, we call it pedagogy, how to teach a certain lesson where you can reach the kid. And on top of that, every kid's different. So how to figure out what that kid is going to need for you to be able to teach them in a way that's meaningful. That's, it's huge. So, okay, you are a teacher. You've got your master's degree. You come on here to teach. What inspired you to kind of go this route, you know, where you're now a professor of teaching, but you're not at the college level. You're still pumping it through. I mean, you're, you're a doctorate of education. Um, you know, what inspired you to go this direction with education? Um, it, it's always really been a passion for me because I had such a hard experience with getting alternatively certified. And, you know, life happens, we moved, I had a baby, you know, I, I, I was almost finished with my degree at one university and had to move to another university. And then there was just roadblocks after roadblocks. And, you know, one state doesn't take an exam that another state takes. And so you had to retake all your exams and, you know, 
when you work at a school in certain places and you're not certified, those years of experience count. And then when you move to another place, they don't count. And so, you know, it's just really mind numbing. Uh, Honestly, sometimes when you contact state agencies, universities um, and employers and, and say, hey, I'm working on my certificate and I'm trying to figure out what I need to do. You have to know how to ask the right question for them to be able to give you the right answer. Because if you use the wrong terminology, the answer you're going to get is is different. Yes. So I I wanted other people to feel like there was a pathway that they could walk down and they could understand it. and, And that would help them be motivated to move from one step to the next, to the next, you know, and, and it's just, it's really, really hard to understand how frustrating and how difficult it is to go home to your spouse and say, man, I know we paid $125 and I have studied for the last six weeks, but I failed that test by two points. Yes, that was me. I failed a couple of tests by just a few points. Yeah, I mean, and it happens and, you know, it's not uncommon at universities or other, you know, industries in the state that work with teachers, but, People don't understand how that feels Mm. unless they've been through that. And so we have a team of certification pathway specialists that work with our teachers. They're basically available on demand. If if they feel like there's a question, there's no one else in Epic, they're comfortable asking. A lot of times they'll call and ask the specialist and we can direct them to the right resources. Um, But also sometimes they want to meet up with other teachers that are studying for that exam or other teachers that are signing up for a course at a university and, and just say, hey man, how are you getting this done? Because we're teaching all day long and then we're studying and doing courses and exams into the evening. And you don't remember what that feels like when you were going through grad school and working full time. No, I think it's, I, I mean, I still say uh, even outside of that world, when you get into admin, it's super quick to forget. Uh, I remember I went into admin um, and and did some teacher development for a while. And then Epic sent me to South by Southwest to learn a few things. I was super stoked for the experience. But I came back and I thought, I can't do this. I've got to take everything I've just learned and go straight back to the students. So I left the world of admin to go back to teaching. And I thought, oh crap this is harder than i remembered i mean it's easy to philosophize and feel you know put put your your theory into things um once you've left but the the nitty-gritty and the the uh the boots on the ground it's it's super easy to forget and um i just think and and then you compound that i had only been out of teaching for i mean i think three years whenever i went back to it um you compound that with like growth on growth on growth up that ladder and and by the time you get to superintendent even legislators you know state superintendent you're sometimes so far removed it's easy to make decisions and dan rule um is a guy who works for us um he used to work at the state department and now he's here helping us figure out some processes with our el kiddos um and and he's like you know i wrote that policy for the state department following it now is completely different you know and so i love that you are are 100 percent involved uh and and i think that because your pupils 
our, our teachers. I mean, we, we hand them students, right? They, they've got students they're working with the minute they start this process. Um, you get to stay super boots on the ground level with them. And I love that about your program. Like you're still involved with students and decision-making for kiddos. Yeah, we um, we are, are so connected to our teachers because we also have to be their voice. Um, you know, sometimes maybe we didn't cover a subject in a way that, that has prepared them and we need to help them, you know, access resources on, on other teams, you know, or, or set up things for them. Uh, but what I would say about, you know, the main thing that really we have to focus on is, is understanding the the role of the teacher because everything that we do in the state legislature everything that we do you know as administrators at school district it means nothing if we don't have quality instructors in front of those kids yeah you know and so i i do very much try to um multiple times a week meet with my teachers um you know sometimes i just pop into study halls where they're working with a specialist just to be able to kind of hear what's going on but then other times they call me directly because you know they have a concern that they need someone at epic to hear um and, and advise them on and you know it's a great way to stay in touch with what's going on and what I equate it to is when I worked in the brick and mortar as an administrator, we talked a lot about the one-legged interview, okay? When a principal or a um, administrator goes into a teacher's classroom to observe them, they're checking a list to make sure that that teacher is meeting the bare minimum. Well, that is not feeding their soul, okay? But when you have a conversation in the hallway with the teacher and a one-legged interview is you can only talk to them as long as you can stand on one leg okay people have to get places they've got to get you know there's things to do uh, but those conversations those short conversations in the hallway between an administrator and a first-year teacher are where you are going to find the meat and potatoes of serving them and creating a lifelong educator yeah you yeah. know uh, sometimes it, it's just talking to them about what is your favorite lesson you taught this week? What was your most uh, surprising thing a student said to you? I would say, you know, how are you has become a little um, washed out during yeah, the pandemic. For sure. Um, it, I'm it takes on so many more. Yeah, right, right. But I'm thinking more concrete, specific questions. How's the studying going for your exam? I love it. What materials are you using? What time of day are you choosing to look at these questions? Tell me about your study process. I love Those it. Those are real different questions to a first year teacher. For sure. You know, and, and when they say to the principal like, oh, I'm overwhelmed and I'm, I'm trying to work on this, this and this, and I'm not studying for that exam, that really needs to be a moment of pause. And we need to look at, you know, what are they doing? And is there anything we can take off their plate? Because again, certification is how we say to our parents, our school districts, I am qualified and, and ready to, you know, be a professional in this field. What is, um, what is your teaching philosophy, just in a nutshell? And what is one thing you hope that your students 
uh, which are our teachers, um, what is one thing that you hope that they take 100% from you? I mean, everybody's kind of developing their own philosophy as they go along, but what is your philosophy and what is one thing that you hope your students get from you? Well, I had to write that in the first class that I took to, to become a teacher. Um, and I, I've never really wavered. It's one sentence, every student can learn. And I believe that in the core of my being. We just have to figure out how to reach them. Um, and what I would say that I want people to, to think about me is that I'm honest and fair. That's really important to me because, you know, I may not have the solution to every problem that a teacher has. Um, and I may not be able to, um, you know, give one person special treatment and, and another person, you know, turn them a cold shoulder. Uh, but I want them to know that they have an equal opportunity to um, have access to all the resources that we have, that we will do anything within our power to support them. Um, and that, you know, we really do believe that they can be successful in that process. So um, hopefully, you know, the folks that work with me would agree with me on those two things. I mean, that's kind of a, a, a really important value to me. Uh, but I also um, hope though that, that that honesty means that they feel like they can come and talk to me. So you're working with adults now who have proved that they can learn but they still have different learning styles. How do you accommodate for the different learning styles that are coming to you, these adults? And, and girl, I didn't know I had ADHD until I was 36 years old. How do you deal with something like that where they may not even know that they've got something that uh, is, is either hindering them or making them different or or maybe they need to be way more tactile or maybe they need to be way more auditory how do you approach learning styles when you're working with adults who have proven they can well, learn so we we try to teach them how to identify that in their students uh, but there's a lot of research out there that says the methods we use with students don't actually work for adults Okay. okay. Um, when we are working with adult learning theory, which it's, I'm going to say it wrong, androgyny, which is not the same as gender, gender neutral androgyny, right? Androgyny. Okay. Um, but it really talks about how the motivation has to come from self. The target goals have to come from self. And all of those things really begin with a process of self identification. What are my strengths? as a learner, what are my weaknesses, what things work for me? You know, and so a lot of times I'll say to people, think back to your sophomore year in college when you were in a really hard gen ed class and you had that final or that midterm in the semester. How did you study for that? You know, and some folks will say, oh, I had to go hold up in the library and, and other people will say, oh, I had to record it and put it on headphones and listen to it while I jog. And so we really begin to kind of look at what things have you done in the past and then how's that working for you? You know, if you tell me I bought this certain vendor's book and I worked from page one to page two in that book, but I still failed. Well, how's that working for you? Um, yeah. If it's not, let's figure something else out. Um, and so I would say that we provide them with lots of options. 
you know, maybe they want to watch uh, videos from crash course to learn about cellular respiration for the biology exam. You know, maybe they want to. Um, Thank you, Hank and John Green. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love that. Uh, you know, maybe they need to uh, read it. Maybe they truly need to meet in a small study group with three other people and read it out loud to each other. Um, whatever works for them, we have to find that study method. And then on the exams, um, our statewide and our nationally provided exams do have opportunities for accommodations. And so we've had some folks with medical needs that we needed to help them um, submit some documentation to be able to have those needs met. We've also uh, worked with some folks um, I didn't know if you know, you can take the paraprofessional exam in Spanish. Um, if you wanna be a um, helper in a special education classroom, we were able to partner with Metro Tech in Oklahoma City um, and get that worked out. Uh, we also have um, a new exam, which is really exciting. Um, it's called the PPACT, uh, P-P-A-T. It is replacing the OPTI exam, uh, which is that art and science of teaching. And um, our universities in Oklahoma have been piloting that for several years, but that also came about um, summer of 2021. Um, and so the PPAT exam, instead of taking someone like you with ADHD, putting you in a small chair in a cubicle and, you know, with other people around you and making you sit there for four hours and do 80 questions in an essay, the PPAT really is a portfolio. Okay. You get to submit lesson plans. You get to submit permission slips from your parents, and then you submit actual student scores and you talk about what you did to help that kid. And then you test them and you see if they improve. And then they videotape themselves teaching. And that's sent off and there's a rating scale. And if it doesn't meet the requirements, they can resubmit. And they can get, you know, keep resubmitting until they're able to pass that. But it's an opportunity to really show this is the kind of teacher I am. This is what I know about teaching. And it's not a multiple choice exam. So that's really exciting for our folks with ADHD. Girl, this is not a question for you because I'm, I'm going to get uh, applaud from the peanut gallery. But this is a question for, <laughs> for honestly, for legislators out there. If we have an exam for paraprofessionals, they could be taken in Spanish. Why the deuce don't we have an exam for students for that state exam where they can take it in Spanish? Because everything is online now that it will not take somebody coming in and translating that stuff. It's A, B, C, and D. Why don't well, we have- I can answer that question for you. Tell me. Uh, that is a national exam, not an Oklahoma developed exam. Well, And so our legislature and um, actually OEQA is our agency that handles the um, what test that we take for certification in Oklahoma. And they have recently opened up um, the Praxis exam for teachers in Oklahoma. So we now have another choice, which again goes to learning styles, um, where we can have the Praxis exam for math, or we can take the Oklahoma OSAP for math. Uh, but yeah, it. It really depends on the testing company. And I had to call the, the CEO of that testing company and ask them about why can't we take this exam in Spanish? Because it said on their website, you can't. And so if it said on their website, they can, our people were getting to take it. Um, no, I, so mean we for, set out, but. I mean for students, like why the heck? You know what I'm saying? Why, why, if we know we've got kids in EL, do we not let them show how smart they are in the, the language that they are most native to speaking? It just seems well, and you insane. Know, I, 
I worked on the TESOL committee in Texas for a lot of years. Um, I, I've always, in my experience down there, worked in, in highly diverse school districts where um, we really did have a lot of interactions between special education and English language learners. And, you know, there are a couple of different methods for uh, testing our, our ELL students. So um, we have our, our rating scales that we do to determine their level of proficiency. And that way we can figure out, you know, how many years have they been working on learning English? How, um, how proficient are they? And then we know how we can support them in that way. Um, but our state test exams really are all about accountability. And that has been a, a big rub for teachers for, for generations because not everything that a student learns can be measured in a multiple choice exam. Right. And, you know, when we go to school to learn about teaching, we talk about authentic learning. We talk about project-based learning. We talk about schools that, that have PBIS. Um, but then we all need to have that conversation with the testing companies and, and say, you know, Oklahoma, wants to make students that are in the top 10 in the United States. Um, and, and the way that we go about that um, is a full circle of the instructional cycle, all the way from when we introduce a topic to when we assess it. Because if we are not using in our assessments in a way that tells us how to help a student, why are we spending money on that? Yeah. This I, and I want to dive into the world of where the money comes from anyway, because <laughs> just make this is not the topic we need to be talking about. But it does make me crazy. Uh, like we're going to find out that, I don't know, some Nike supports the federal testing or something. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't yeah. know. That's conspiracy, Aaron, coming into play and my bad. Well. <laughs> I did a, um, I had a school finance class once uh, when I was working on my doctorate and I did a project uh, because I was a testing coordinator at a, a district in uh, Texas once upon a time before I came to Epic. Um, and so we actually did some research at that time on what the cost of one paper exam in front of a student cost and um, it would make you sick to your stomach. Okay. Um, because well. there's a lot of beta testing and, and things that go on to the production of the questions ahead of time and then down to printing costs and shipping costs and all of those things. And so um, the movement to online testing is um, a huge jump in the last you know 25 years. Uh, but that jump between um, when we start looking for alternative assessment methods for our special ed students, for our EL students, for our GED students, for, for our folks that are obviously needing that specialized instruction and specialized assessment, um, I don't know that we're gonna see that that mark move very far on the meter, yeah. uh, but I do believe that is coming. And, and again, that's one of those things that I love about Epic. Um, you know, our Hispanic uh, Student Services Department is very active. We have a wonderful team of English language learner um, specialists that, that work with our teachers to try to assist those kids. Um, but, you know, really we're looking at mastery on the, the standards that they're going to need to have a great life. And um, state test scores are great, uh, but that that's never going to be the priority of teachers. I know, I know. Okay, back to the real topic at hand. Sorry. Um, 
Can you share uh, like a specific experience or or maybe even a candidate in your head um, as you're going through this process that you found just super rewarding as a leader of this program? There are so many stories um, and, you know, state test scores come out between 830 and 1030 on a Friday night once a month. Uh, teacher certification score. Sorry. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I got got. I know. Both things. I get fired up on all of it. But those scores come out on a Friday night and my phone blows up um, with emails and texts from our team, you know, telling us about it. But, um, you know, I I would say that probably one of the most rewarding experiences uh i i don't want to say rewarding i want to say meaningful um life-changing uh, so we had a a candidate who was in one of our early cohorts who went through the process you know the special education boot camp who uh testing in content areas and in pedagogy and you know making sure all the diplomas and degrees and all of that stuff made it to the state department. And, you know, he fell short. Um, he just, he could not pass that exam um, and multiple times took it. Uh, and, and it wasn't like he didn't show up to our study halls or, or he wasn't communicating with his cohort and, and accessing resources. He really was. He was uh, doing all of the things that we wanted him to be doing so that um, he could become an educator. And so we got down to the last exam and um, you know, we didn't know how this was gonna go, but it was kind of one of those moments where he had done every single thing that, that he was supposed to do um, and he passed. And so I always have a um, conversation that I have with a teacher before testing about when you're walking out to your car with that paper in your hand, who are you going to call first and tell, you know, and some people say their wife or their mother or their, their best friend or their principal, you know, and, and he told me he was going to call his wife and then he would call me, you know? Um, and so um, that was a fabulous conversation to have uh, to find out that he had met the goal. He was going to become a certified teacher. And so I was kind of on cloud nine. Um, but that also was the year we had COVID mm. And um, he ended up um, becoming ill and was hospitalized within days. And um, not very long after that, we lost him. Um, so uh, that was really, really powerful for our team um, because it meant so much to him. And he worked so hard. And so I am so thankful that I had the opportunity to celebrate him and to pour into him in that moment, you know, when he, he, he achieved that, um, accomplishment. Um, but it just really has made it more important to me to help all of these other people get across the finish line. Yeah. You know, we, we have a lot of people that are in different stages and, you know, some of them are starting that process and they're in year one and some of them are, you know, they've been working hard and it's like a marathon for two to three years. And, you know, their families are cheering them on and their teams are cheering them on. And, you know, we just want to help them get across the finish line because we sold them this dream of being a teacher is how you change the world. And if they don't get across the finish line, they don't ever get to enjoy that, you know, the spoils of their work. Um, and, you know, all of us, 
we never know when tomorrow could be our last day. You know, tomorrow's not promised to any of us. And so, you know, I tell teachers also, you may never get that kid on grade level. But every time you sit down across for them and you work with them and they learn something and you see that light come on, you've made their life better. And so, you know, it, it really is, it, it's a, a work of the heart for me. I have the best job in the world. Um, it's very difficult, but um, I, I'm fully committed. Um, and I, those are my teachers. Even when they finish and they go off and they're certified and they, they you know, are making a difference. I had a part in that and um, it just, their success is my success. Dr. Patricia Cook, thank you so much for your heart for your passion, for um, your leadership, and, and, and honestly, for your friendship. I just, I thank you so much for you, the person that you are. Well, I, I, I could say the same for you. And, you know, I know you have the opportunity to inspire lots of folks with your energy about education, but I also think it's important that we realize that you don't have to have a microphone in front of you to be singing the praises of being a teacher. Yeah. You know, I, I was, when we first came on the call, I told you I ran into a lady in the gym. We, we walked next to each other in the treadmill, you know, this morning and, and we started talking. Her student is um, currently with a different online school and not loving it. And they're looking at Epic and, and had some questions. And she said, now, now what is it that you do? And I said, you know, well, I work with teachers and I help folks become teachers. And she said, oh, I was a paraprofessional with a specialist in autism for 10 years in another state, but I never actually finished that college degree. So I, I don't know that I could ever work with you. And I'm like, no, let's, let's help you figure this out. There's yes. some great scholarships on the horizon for teachers, you know, and, and someone that's a paraprofessional, oh, bless their heart. I mean, they really have some wonderful experience. Yeah. Also epic parents. Um, our epic parents make wonderful you teach teachers uh, because they already have that commitment to education. So, you know, I, I hope that if I can inspire one teacher and then they can inspire one parent or one student or, or, or someone else in their life, like, hey, maybe I can become a teacher. Because if you're going to look at what's on television and what's in the newspapers to try to decide if this is a worthy profession, or, or people talking about uh, the pay scale. Yeah, that's not why we're in it. No, I saw a, a mug the other day that said, I got into teaching for the fame and for the money, obviously. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I Laughable. mean, it's, I would say that my job has always been more rewarding probably than um, some folks that made more money than me at sure. times. But I would also say, I earned every single dollar as a teacher because I was always one of the first ones in the building um, when it opened and one of the last ones to leave. And my children have been in my classrooms since they were able to walk, you know, on weekends, on summer breaks, on field trips, on, on those things. And it's a lifestyle. It's not a career. It's a lifestyle. Yeah, it, it is. All right, well, that is all the time we have. Tune in next week where we are rethinking how leadership and education can better prepare the next generation for a rapidly evolving world.